Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us, for he is overcome. Fill the skies, fill the skies with a song as heaven sings along to glorify the sun. Who is like? Who is like you? None compare. There's no one like our God. desperation 
of our singing and our worship with our voices, we give our offerings. We give back to God a portion of what 
God has given to us. And I've been asking some cross-pointers lately why they give financially to the Lord. And here's one of the testimonies that I've gotten. The Bible tells us to. That's kind of a big one. Really, though, we don't deserve anything at all. Nothing. Over the years, we've been blessed with really good income at times. And at other times, we've had zip. Literally zero anything. Tithing is just the right thing to do, though. It's such a minimal act of appreciation. It's like saying thank you to God for always taking care of us. Even when we had nothing at all coming in, we were still alive, still moving forward, and still appreciating God for still taking care of us. To us, tithing really is the least we can do. God doesn't need the money, and even when everything else in our lives seems to be going wrong, everything is out of whack, tithing is like the minimal way for us just to say thanks and to show God that we're still thankful. To tithe means we give 10% of our income back to the Lord as as an offering, as a gift, uh, back into His work in the local church. And when we give to the Lord, as the testimony said, and as Scripture says, we're expressing our thanks to God, our gratitude to God, because whether we have plenty or we have very little, our God is faithful. And whether we have plenty or very little, the Lord is teaching us contentment and He's teaching us generosity. So may we be people who respond to those lessons and say yes to the Lord. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. And God, I thank you that as we sing and as we give back to you financially, Lord, all of it is this this opportunity to say thank you. So Lord, would would you grow in us a heart of gratitude? Would you grow in us a heart of thankfulness? Would you grow in us a heart that is uh, learning contentment? Would you grow in us a heart that is generous toward your kingdom's work? May you be glorified. May you use what is given here for your kingdom's sake, for your name's sake, so that lives can be changed, so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Trust in the Lord. 
you and we praise you, God, that we can dwell in the shelter of the Most High God, no other greater than you, Lord, that we can rest in the beauty of your presence, God, that we can uh, feel uh, uh, comfort and joy and peace in your presence because we're your children instead of fear and trembling and doubt and worry. God, thank you for what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are faithful, faithful, faithful. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, as we continue in worship, we're going to uh, celebrate communion together. You don't need to be a member of Crosspoint to take communion, uh, but you do need to be a believer in Jesus Christ to take communion according to Scripture. You need to be following Him as Lord of your life. Communion reminds us of the cross of Christ. Uh, Jesus told us to remember His death in this way through the symbols of bread and wine, and He told us to Remember, because it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get captivated by the things of this world, whether good or bad, and allow those things to distract us from what is most important or most captivating. And in the cross, what's captivating to us is that the Holy Son of God died in our place. He took on our sin, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation, and bore the weight of that and died. His death paid the price for our sins, and now, through faith in Christ and by the grace of God, we can receive salvation and eternal life in Christ, and through the cross, we move from death to life, from hopeless to hopeful, from being uh, chained up to our sin and our past to finding freedom in Christ. When we remember the cross, we remember our own sin, not our neighbor's sin, not someone else's sin. We are to remember our own. We remember that sin is not taken lightly by the Lord, which is obvious as we look at the cross, and, and that our personal sin led to the weight of the sin that Jesus bore on that cross. Pastor C.J. Mahaney 
said this, only those who are truly aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. And so today, may we be truly aware of our own sin. May we recognize that for those of us in Christ, that we still have remaining sin in us. We still have pride that lurks in the corners. And so let us not think that we have arrived or earned salvation because of our awesomeness. But rather, as we ask the Lord to make us aware of our sin, may we also ask the Lord to help us cherish grace. Cherish that the cross was enough. That Jesus has died in our place and that through faith and by grace, Jesus is enough to not only save us, but to set us free. To give us a new heart, a new spirit within us. A spirit that says, no, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for the Lord and His purposes. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you're, you're welcome to, to take communion and celebrate that as the body of Christ this morning. If you're, if you're here and you're still exploring who Jesus is and, and trying to determine, okay, what's this mean for my life? Anybody's not your Lord and Savior yet? We're grateful that you're here. We love that you're here. But we'd encourage you to honor what Scripture says and just allow the tray to pass down the row and pass it to your neighbor. If the ushers want to come up now and begin to uh, pass out the trays. The bread and juice are on top of one another, so get both cups so you have both elements. Um, And then we'll take the bread and take the uh, juice together as one uh, family of God this morning. Use this time as the trays are passed and music is played just to thank God and, and, and remember the cross and ask the Lord to help you not only be aware of sin, but to cherish the grace that is is that sin is met with at the cross.
the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Jesus, we are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for your mercy. We are grateful that your love compelled you to go to the cross, that obedience to the Father compelled you to go to the cross. We thank you that long before we knew we needed saving, that you made a way possible for us to be saved. We thank you for your lavish display of love, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness as we reflect on the cross. Uh, Father, I, I thank you that because you love us, you expose sin in us. You expose things in our heart that, that aren't from you, that are much more reflective of our sinful nature and our selfishness than of you, our old nature, if you will. So, Lord, thank you for exposing those things. And, Lord, we lay those before you and we ask that, uh, that you would create in us a clean heart, a broken spirit, a contrite spirit that is humble before you. Help us to be aware of our sin, but as a result, help us to truly cherish the grace that that sin is met with. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that it changes everything. And thank you that we have freedom in Christ. We have a new life, a new heart, and a new spirit as a result of the cross and the resurrection. Remind us of that this week. Long after communion, remind us of that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, November 1, has been marked the um, uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so churches around the world are gathering together to get uh, today to pray for uh, believers who are persecuted in their faith as well as those who persecute them. Persecution is the reality that many Christians face around the globe. We, we see it in our world, especially in the actions of ISIS right now. And so today is a day for us to lift our, lift our eyes a little bit of what's happening globally. The Bible tells us often that for those who desire to follow Christ, that we'll face persecution. Jesus, who we follow, most certainly faced persecution, right? We just remembered that, that his persecution ultimately led to his, his death. And so as his followers, as his followers, we shouldn't be surprised that persecution happens for those who follow Christ because he is the one we are becoming like. And yet in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And so today we pray for uh, strength, endurance, protection, peace for our brothers and sisters who are walking through persecution because of their faith. And we pray for the hearts of those who are persecuting them. Um, the ministry, Voice of the Martyrs, put together a, a video, uh, and I want to show it to you, a true story about persecution and, and God's work in it. We are celebrating the engagement of a young couple in our village. 
that is until this Christian returned. Four days ago, he came into our village trying to convert us, telling everyone about his Jesus. We warned him not to come back, yet here he is. कई बार मना किया हमने कि प्रभु यीशु का प्रचार हमारे गांव में ना करें लेकिन वो मना करने के बाद भी नहीं माना और हमने उसको बहुत मार दिया यह हमें नहीं मालूम हो रहा है कि वो जीवित है या कि मर चुका है तो आप जाइए उसको देखिए उठिए ना उठिए जाइए आप आप ऐसा काम क्यों किया है हम लोग इनके साथ क्या करेंगे? अगर इसका परमेश्वर सच्चा है, तो इसकी मदद अवश्य करेगा, और हम इसे जाने देंगे। 
Suta did recover and four days after leaving our village, he came back again. Now my wife and I follow Jesus and Suta is our pastor. When you pray for the persecuted, please remember to also pray for those who persecute. For us, it may be the only way we will see the love of God. I've asked uh, Bill Lapp, you want to come up, um, to come uh, lead us in prayer for both those who are persecuted as well as those who persecute them. It's going to make me cry. (laughs) I just want to, before I do, I want to thank Dave, and and this is very humbling. Um, Before I do, I want to, I want to pray for one, or I want to ask you to pray for one thing after today. Um, How we're going to spot that if we're going to make a change in this world, truly there's going to be a change. It's happening in the in the schools. That's the only place it's going to happen, right? But it's going to happen with what happens here at church. It's going to happen through prayer. I'm going to tell you right now. You have you have some great leaders. You know, Ron Peterson sitting over there. Bob Bardwell. These are Christian leaders in charge of their in charge of their school systems. And one of the worst things we have in the world, or in this country, is we have people that that will make up. The things they because they don't want to fight pressure, even though it's within within the ability to profess the name of Christ, they 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 don't want to take the risk of what they're doing as professing that name, because because of fear of what's going to happen. Yet they're still in the right, and and so it's almost like we're persecuting ourselves. All right, and so I just ask for one thing when you leave here today is keep on your heart and prayer through this church, the the school systems. The children, because honestly, that's where it's gonna. That's really what's gonna make a difference in this world, uh, in the future. So, um, just if you bow your heads with me, Lord, I just come to you now. I'm, I'm humbled to be before you, in front of these, um, and the, the fellow Christians, and I just these brothers and sisters that join each week. Um, today, we just lift up the persecuted church, and the persecuted church comes in so many ways. You know, the most common are the things we see on media. It's the ISIS terror. It's 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 in the past, the the the, the in the Holocaust, all, all this evil, the people that have been persecuted. Um, and and right now Christians across the world are being persecuted and for, for, for coming in and just 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 talking about you, much like happened to you. I am so thankful for for this group putting out this this message, this 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 video that I saw, because it, it just put an image in realistic real-time image of what's happening in the world that so similarly happened to your son. And, and we just come to you, and, and we ask for, for continued um, resurgence and, and power and, and faith and, and conversion of people that, yes, that are persecuting, because we can see there, and there are evidences all over that, that those who are persecuting, that through what they've done, they, they become they become reconciled and, and, and they realize that, that what the type of person they are and through that they, they start to feel your power come through them the Holy Spirit speaks through them and and amazingly they they turn to where they start um, converting and soon they become Christian and and that's the power of the living word that's that's why it's living 
All right? It's not dead. You are alive. And so it, it continues to prosper. Lord, I also pray not only for overseas, but I pray for here too, because again, we too are being persecuted. We're, we're, things, that, things that we stand up for, we, st- we, we use your word, and yet people in the public, are, there are people throwing back that, oh, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite, and you're a, you're a bigot, and you're a whatever. All right, Lord, help us to be a loving, loving church, but also to stand up for what you want us to stand up for. Stand up up for truth. No matter what our government says, no matter what the the populace may look like they're saying, that when it's all said and done, whatever laws are out there that are against your word, that we stand up and that we are as strong as those those kids in Oregon. I, I just pray that everyone here has the strength when they leave here today, whether it's a physical injury that may happen, all right, like execution or just the, the belittlement because of who we are, that they are empowered to stand up when they're asked, with whether it's a gun to our head or whatever it may be, that they can stand up and say, we profess the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I ask for today. And we just love you, and we just stand with you, and we, we ask that we get stronger when we walk out this, these uh, church doors today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bill. Romans 1.16 says, um, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. And so that's our heart, that we would lovingly and boldly um, share the good news uh, with our lives and pray for those uh, to do it worldwide. So if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Genesis 25. Uh, If you need a good Bible, get one of the free ones at Guest Connections after the service. We're making our way through Genesis right now, and one thing I love about the Old Testament is that it reads like a story because it is a story. This is God's story that he's writing for us, especially in Genesis and Exodus. You see this uh, very narrative uh, type of story being told to us. And this story doesn't have us at the center of it, but God himself. When I was growing up, I approached the Bible pretty much as a book of heroes. Um, kind of look through there and see a name and assume that, boy, that here's, a, here's, a, here's a hero of the faith. Here's a perfect person that I should become like. And but as you actually look at the Scripture, you realize that the men and women in the Scripture are a lot like us. They are imperfect people. Uh, yes, they followed the Lord. Yes, they worshiped the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They walked by faith. Some incredible, miraculous things God did through them. But if there's one hero of Scripture, it is Jesus. Uh, it is not the people like you and me. It is Jesus. He is the one we worship. And if you're a Christ follower, one question that's bound to come up in your mind sometimes is this, will God be faithful to me when I am faithless to him? When I mess up, will God be faithful to me? Will God keep his promises even when I sin against him? When I'm faithless, will God be faithful? And depending on the type of earthly father you had or you have right now, the one you grew up with, that earthly relationship has a, uh, a strong potential to impact your view of your Heavenly Father. If your father walked out on you, if your father uh, only loved you when you were outwardly obedient or when you were successful, whatever that meant, then unfortunately you will apply all of those realities sometimes to your Heavenly Father. But listen, your Heavenly Father is a perfectly good Father. He doesn't walk out. He's been forever been faithful to his people. 
He does not love us more when we get it right. He does not love us less when we get it wrong. He loves us because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He delights over us because on the cross, he took on our unrighteousness and we are now covered in his righteousness. His love for us is a testimony of his grace, not our greatness. Our God is a good father. And he is a God who keeps his promises, sometimes in unusual ways. He keeps his promises even to people who are unworthy like you and me. He keeps his promises despite the circumstances around us that seem insurmountable. And in the end, we have a God who is not far off, but he's come near. And the greatest gift he's given to us is his presence. We'll discover all of that this morning in the scriptures that we're looking at. Today, we're looking at the story of Abraham and his family. We're introduced to Abraham a couple weeks ago in Genesis 12. God made this, made this covenant with Abraham uh, that went through his family, that all the nations would be blessed, that one day the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born through this family. And he promised to Abraham offspring, blessing, and land. And the last time we read about, uh, last week we read about Abraham's son, Isaac, and uh, Abraham had waited 25 years for him to be born. And Isaac was eventually born. And then uh, 10 years into his life, the Lord asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And at just the right time, though, a ram was provided. So Isaac wasn't sacrificed, but the ram was, the substitute was. And all of that's foreshadowing Jesus on the cross, him being our substitute. And today we're in Genesis 25, 26, and then 28. Next week, we'll jump back to 27. But Genesis 25 opens with um, telling us more of the names of Abraham's family and that at the age of uh, 175, Abraham passes away. And so the story now picks up with the life of Isaac, the son who we looked at last week, who's now a full-grown son, um, is married, and we'll pick up his story in verse 19 of Genesis 25. And we'll find that God keeps his promises in unusual ways, verses nine, or starting in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So Isaac's father and mother, Abraham and Sarah, they too struggled with having children. Sarah was barren as well. And we see the same struggle with Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, now. And the fact that Rebekah is not getting pregnant has this potential of impacting the promise that God has made to Abraham. This promise that through Abraham, a people would come, a nation, a, a group of people who would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, a people who would be numbered like the stars. But it seems like in the very next generation of Abraham's line, it's going to break down. The covenant's going to go away, that God's forsaken them, or, or God is going to face this insurmountable challenge and the promise isn't going to be able to be kept so what do you do when you struggle what do you do when it appears the lord has forgotten you what do you do when it seems that you're up against the most insurmountable challenge do you shake your fist at god do you run away from god assuming that god has run away from you what people of faith do is we pray one beautiful and powerful gift we've been given in Christ is we have a Father in heaven who is not too busy for us. He's a perfectly good Father. He's not painted in the light of your earthly Father. He's a good Father who's not too busy for us, and so we pray. We go to the one who has the power to change 
the circumstances. And sometimes he doesn't change them, right? Sometimes the story is not, doesn't roll around to that of the persecuted church. Sometimes it ends in death. Sometimes the circumstances don't change. Sometimes they do. We'll find that in this story. But sometimes what doesn't change are circumstances, but what does change is our heart, our mind concerning the situation. Sometimes what happens is the Lord gets us to the point of saying, it is well with my soul. Whatever may come of this, it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Your will, Father, not my will. Mike and Amy Lott are cross, are a cross point family who uh, in late September welcomed home their second son through adoption. And uh, prior to welcoming home Andrew, uh, they'd gotten to the point where they were content with their son, their first son. They, they'd prayed, they'd sought the Lord, they'd asked, and it seemed that Evan would be their only son. If you've ever pursued adoption, you know that journey is riddled with frustrations and setbacks and highs and lows and mountains and valleys. And, and yet out of the blue in September, not out of the blue to the Lord, but out of the blue to them, they'd ask and, it, uh, and, the, and the Lord provided a second son, Andrew David, to be adopted. In the midst of the struggle, long before they knew about Andrew, they prayed. They asked others to pray with them, their community group and other people. They, they laid it before the Lord, trusting him with the results. And knowing them, and if you know them, even if Andrew didn't happen, they would have continued to trust God. And yet Andrew is this sweet testimony of God's faithfulness. And this is what Isaac does. He prays. And he's going to pray for 20 years. Abraham prayed for 25 years, him and Sarah laying this before the Lord. Now Isaac is going to pray for Rebekah for 20 years, talking to his Father in heaven, trusting him with the results. However the Lord sees fit, and the Lord by his grace answered this prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant, the end of verse 21, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The promise of offspring that God had made to Abraham now continues in the line of Isaac the adult uh, study guide points this out, and I hope you're kind of seeing this, that you're seeing a trend with miraculous pregnancies to carry forth the promise that he made to Abraham. Are you seeing this, that, that God has the uh, ability to seemingly overcome impossible situations to fulfill his promises? Because ultimately in the New Testament we see what? We see God's work through a young, unwed virgin girl named Mary a miraculous conception, a most unusual way, one that we would have never written, but God knew what he was doing and God was simply unfolding his plan of redemption and restoration to this world. Don't think for a minute that our God is boxed in or contained by circumstances or he is unable. We are not the final judge on what is possible and what is impossible. You and I are not the final judge on what is possible and impossible, so stop thinking that God is somehow contained by time or space, somehow contained by limitations that we place upon Him. He is beyond us, and yet He's come near to us, which we'll discover later on. Verse 22, the story continues regarding Rebecca's pregnancy. Uh, The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it's thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. 
The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, not winning the Gerber Cutest Baby Award. So they called him, called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Uh, how many of you have siblings? You have siblings? You grew up with siblings? Are you currently your students and you have siblings? Um, if you're a woman, you grew up with sisters. If you're a man who grew up with uh, brothers, uh, especially this is true, but you experience sibling rivalry probably. Hopefully you don't anymore. If you're an adult, you're still experiencing this. Uh, you need to work through that. You're adults now, okay? Um, and I'm just saying, because it's the reality for some of you. We laugh, but that is the reality for some of us. Um, but we've seen this thus far, that sibling rivalry starts right after Genesis 3. Sin enters the world. Sibling rivalry, next chapter, right? Chapter 4, Cain and Abel, worst case scenario for sibling rivalry of murder, all right? But then we see it in Isaac and Ishmael. We'll see it in Jacob and Esau today. We'll see it especially next week. So if you're a parent, you got multiple kids, don't lose sight of the fact that, that rivalry is a result of the fall. And so give your kids the gospel. Give them the good news that this is not how God designed it to be. And God calls us to love one another because he's first loved us. Give them the gospel. Show them the, the good news of how the good news enters that sibling rivalry and how it makes sense in their practical world that faith enters life right there as they're battling about who's greatest and who's the best. And they're cutting each other down all these kinds of things, all right? The Lord tells Rebekah before they're even born that these two are going to battle. They're going to be divided. That from them or from her, these two nations will be formed. These two nations will be in conflict. And, and ultimately, these two nations are the Israelites who come from Jacob and the Edomites who come from Esau. The Edomites will be constantly attacking God's people. We'll find that later in, in the book of Genesis. And yet even this hostility is not going to keep the Lord from fulfilling his promises. What's interesting here is you see that the older will serve the younger. And in Old Testament times, the younger always served the older. Everything went to the firstborn. If you grew up with siblings, maybe that was your case. Everything went to the firstborn. But with Esau and Jacob, it was different. The older Esau will end up serving the younger Jacob. Because at the end of Genesis 25, Esau gives up his firstborn birthright for a simple bowl of stew. And that whole exchange is a message in itself. He gives up what is eternal for what is temporary. He gives up what is lifelong for this immediate satisfaction. He gives up this lifetime of blessing for this just immediate, I have to have this need met right now. And that's what we do when we chase sin. When we say, no, I, I want to do this right now. And we exchange this now for what's lifelong, let alone for what is eternal, even past there. But this whole story thus far reminds us that our God works in mysterious ways. In ways that if we were writing the story, would not have been the way. But, but with God, it's different. He's worked through people who thought their productive or useful years were way past them because of age. He's worked through the barrenness of, of women, provided children. Now he's going to work through a younger child instead of an older one, which in that culture would have always been the older one getting all the glory. Now it's going to be the younger. In the next chapter, we'll see that he overcomes a famine. He overcame a famine with Abraham. He's going to overcome a famine with Isaac now. 
Our God is always faithful to keep his promises, even when people are unworthy of his goodness. Even when people are faithless, God is faithful. Next week we get into it more, but Abraham's family puts the fun in dysfunction. I mean, they, uh, you can, I, I encourage you to just be reading the scriptures as we go along here because we're not able to go down deep into all these little bits along the way. But, to, but as you read this, you see this family, there's lying and deceit, all sorts of sin. But God will redeem these for his purposes because God keeps his promises to unworthy people, people like you and me. Verses uh, uh, one, and, 1 through 6 in Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, so Isaac settled in Gerar. So in Genesis 12, Isaac, or God makes the same covenant with, with Isaac's father Abraham. And here he gives the same charge to Isaac a promise of land, offspring, and blessing, that through Isaac's offspring, all the nations will be blessed. So despite all these things going on, God's mission remains the same. He has not changed his mission. His plans for the world have not changed. But Isaac isn't perfect here. Earlier in Genesis 24, he he lies to protect his own skin. He lies about his wife, a tactic that he got from his father, who did the same thing to Sarah. He places his own well-being before his wife, and yet God is going to work through him. This is, the, this is the grace of God on display here. Isaac is unworthy of grace. You and I are unworthy of grace, of God saving us, and yet he does. That's why it's grace. He does so because as he uses imperfect people, then he gets all the glory. Then it's his perfection and his power on display through us. Look through Scripture and you see that God used people who were unworthy, who didn't always get it right. And yet these people trusted in the Lord. They kept following the Lord. They kept worshiping the Lord. Even though they blew it sometimes or the circumstances around them seemed to be insurmountable. Moses stuttered and was slow of speech. It's a great encouragement to me as a public speaker. All right? he, loved the, he lacked the confidence to speak in public. And yet God used him and worked through him to free the Israelites from the most powerful nation and the powerful, most powerful leader in the world at that time. David, a young shepherd boy who outwardly had no signs of a leader or a king, but God saw something different in him. And yet David is the one who committed adultery and then murder to try to, lie, try to cover it up and lying and all of this. And yet you read Psalm 51 and you see this heart that it lays before the Lord saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renewing me, renewing me a right spirit. I'm, I'm fully aware of my sin, Lord, coming before the Lord. And so we, re, we remember David as a man after God's own heart. Mary, the unwed teen mom, what a scandal for that day. And yet God works through someone that society looked over a most unusual way. You could go through the disciples of Jesus. Peter 
and talk about all their imperfections, all their pride. But God used them. Even though they were unworthy, God used them because of His grace. And His grace led to this growing devotion in them. As one commentary said about Isaac, once more we see that it's through weak, even cowardly men that God works out His redemption purposes in the world. God works through broken vessels, but does so by grace and power. And as a result, God is the one glorified. God didn't choose to work through Jacob over Esau because, Esau was, or because Jacob was morally superior. He chose him simply because of grace. Romans 11.6 says, But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Have you experienced the amazing grace of God? Are you living in light of how God's grace is at work in your life, making you more and more like Jesus? And His grace is enough and is sufficient to complete the work that He's begun in you. God works through unusual ways and God works through unworthy people, but He still works. He still prevails. His grace is sufficient and that truth is not just a license to do whatever we want and, oh, sweet, I got God's grace. I can just go, go ahead and do whatever I want and rebel against God. That's not it. But rather, it's this reminder that we've been chosen by grace and saved by grace. We're we're used by God because of grace. We're not saved by trying to obey really, really well. Otherwise, it's no longer grace. Instead, we're saved by grace and through faith. And it's that amazing grace that motivates us to obey the Lord. He's been so good to us. And so we want to honor Him. We want to love Him through our obedience. It's this internal motivation of a heart that's been changed, that compels us to become more like Christ. So if you're in rebellion against God right now, if you know what God's Word says over here, and you really are like, I really don't care, though. I'm just going to go ahead and live how I want to live because I, I know what it says, but I really don't care. If that's your attitude, you're rejecting the grace of God. You're rejecting the, 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 the grace that invites us to humble ourselves. The grace that says, no, there's a better way. Grace that says, no, that sin will destroy you. Grace that lovingly exposes that for your good, not only in this life, but for your eternal good. Isaac received abundant material blessing from the Lord. And as you read the scriptures this week, you'll, you'll see that, especially in Genesis 26. But don't let that make you think that by obeying God, and because of that obedience, that God will somehow make you materially wealthy. That may or may not happen. If it does, it'll be because of grace, not because of something we've done. So yes, we are unworthy, but in Christ we are made worthy. The Lord has fixed His love on us. The greatest promise that God gives to us as Christ followers is Himself, not the stuff that you may see in Isaac's story. It's not the stuff, it's Him. Genesis 26, 24 says this, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Fear not, I am with you. So in the circumstances that seem insurmountable, in the moments when we sin, where we become aware of our brokenness and our rebellion and that we haven't arrived, in all those moments, fear not, for I am with you. And God, and God will accomplish His purposes through people who trust in Him. This promise to Isaac then extends to Genesis 28, and we see it in the next line of Jacob in 28, 
when we trust in God, we, we turn from ourselves, we get the presence of God, we get God himself, that he will be with us. That's the greatest blessing we could have on this earth because that blessing, that reality, that promise is there, whether it's valley or mountaintop. Genesis 28, 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And you thought your pillow was bad. Um, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you all your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his, dream, from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So you see the same promise that God made to Abraham. You see him make it to Isaac. Now you see, it, you see him make it to Jacob. So above all this, above all the struggle, above all the sin, the unworthiness, the unusual ways, God promised to Jacob, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will finish what I have started. I will be faithful to my promise. I am a God who is unchanging. I do not change. The same God who began this in Genesis is the same one who carries it through to the New Testament. In the book of John, Jesus refers back to the story, the story of Jacob and the, and the staircase and the ladder. In John one fifty one, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As one commentary said about that verse, Jesus will be a greater way of access to God than the heavenly ladder on which angels traveled between God and Jacob. Jesus will be a greater way of access of God. So Genesis 28 was this reminder to Jacob and now to us in 2015 that our God is not far off. He is not disconnected. He is not an absent father. In Jesus, we see that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God has come to us, come into sinful world to pay the price so we could be reconciled back to our Creator. Jesus is the latter. He is what links us. Sin is what divides. Sin is what separates us from our Creator. But through Christ, the link is restored. Jesus is the gate of heaven. He is the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father. No one comes into heaven without going through him. He's the gate. He's the ladder. The Tower of Babel showed to us that that we are unable to get to God on our own. With all our good efforts, with all our our wisdom, our skill, we are unable to get to God. What this story in Genesis 28 reminds us is, is that God has to come for us. God has to pursue us. And he has. In the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see that, Jesus, that God has pursued us through His Son. And so we respond to that display of grace through repentance and faith. We change our minds about who God is and what He's done. We turn from our old selfish ways. We turn toward the Lord. 
We begin to follow Him as Lord. We place our complete faith and trust in Him. We come to realize that without Him, we'd still be lost. Without His death and resurrection, we'd still be lost. But through Jesus, we can walk through a gate. We can walk through a relationship with our Father in heaven. That even though we are unworthy, God has been good to us. And even when we face circumstances that seem impossible, God is still faithful to us. And He has not forsaken us. And if we have repented and believed the good news, nothing can separate us from that love. In the end, we have Christ, and that is enough, whether it's mountain or whether it's valley. As we close, listen to Romans 8, 31 through 39. Fitting verses as this reminder of God's faithfulness and fitting verses for the persecuted church as well. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for that truth. We are so grateful that if we are in Christ, that nothing can separate us from that love. We are grateful that you work in unusual ways in ways that we wouldn't write if we were writing the story, but ways that are so much more effective than ours. Father, we're grateful that you have extended grace to unworthy people like us. We're grateful that in the cross that we become worthy because we are covered in your righteousness and that you took on our unrighteousness, you took on our sin. And Father, wherever we're at in our lives, we are grateful for the truth that we have you. That if we have you, that is enough. So remind us of that. If we're in a low valley, if we are facing something that seems insurmountable, teach us to pray, teach us to trust, grow our faith in you, grow our dependence upon you. I thank you for the reality that we follow you together as a family, as a body of Christ. So show us how to do that this week. I thank you for your grace. And we love you. We want to live for you this week. Help us to do that. Give us the power to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Two more Sundays for, to bring in items for Operation Christmas Child. So watch this video.
What changed me in the book of Greatest Journey, it is found in Luke. Love your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, soul, and with all of your strength. By doing that, I continue helping children because it says love one another as you love yourself. Greatest Journey is a book which helps children to learn and preach the word of God. Many children have changed their behaviors. Some have got saved and they've begun following God, following the ways of God, having that yearning like the one of Christopher is having. And most times when Christopher sits here, there are some two children sits behind him, whereby showing that they have that impact of learning what he's doing. I met him when he's having a couple of children, sharing with them the word of God. So I was like, oh, such a young man, how can he do this? I'm seeing him growing from one step to another step to know Jesus and to, to spread the word. Uh, he's a good man, that's what I can say. And a man who wants Jesus and a man who spreads the word to, to each one that he finds. When I received that that box, now I received some gifts in it, mm, which made me feel joy and feel that I'm loved. My faith is strengthened. I got a sharing heart. That's what I, I got from those gifts. That God loves a cheerful giver. You remember, the Bible says that... All right, so two more Sundays. So get out to, probably this week, our family is going out to Target, Target, and... Uh, getting lots of things. So I just encourage you to do the same thing. Let's, ha let's give Sun Chasers a ton of things to pack up boxes. We're praying that we can send out 300 boxes this year so that lives like that can be changed, ultimately so that God can change those lives. Um, one other note in your program, it says a family service on the 29th of November. Last couple days, we changed that to November 22nd. So um, put that on your calendar. It'll be a great Sunday before Thanksgiving to be together in, in one room, celebrating, worshiping, and uh, expressing our thankfulness to God. Meet somebody new. Pray for somebody before you leave. God bless. Have a great week.